0: This is Dr. Karen, and you're listening to the Are They 18 Yet? podcast, where I help pediatric therapists become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. On this show, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians and educators feel more confident in the way that they serve their caseloads, so they can help school-age kids grow up to be successful, kind, well-adjusted people. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 86 of the Are The 18 Ed podcast. In this episode, I am talking about conflict in the workplace. The examples that I give are within the school setting, but this is relevant for you if you are in a healthcare setting, if you're in a private practice as well, because really, we all need to work together to support kids. Now, This was originally taken from the program called SLP Learning Academy, which is now called the School of Clinical Leadership. So a lot of these trainings are no longer in the program because I have expanded it and made the program for all pediatric service providers who are supporting K-12 kids. So this could include psychologists, social workers, speech pathologists, other types of therapists, other service providers. So really, I found that in order to really support K-12 kids, I needed to support the entire team. And so that's why I think a lot of these issues with leadership in, in education and healthcare, really they need to come from people working together. So that's why this topic is so important because I think it's really disheartening when team members turn on each other, but unfortunately, everyone gets frustrated. Everyone is working in their silo not because they want to, just because, you know, it's it's hard to collaborate across the board. So, I really wanted to talk about this topic and I am sharing some examples from the SLP's perspective because I have taken this Q&A from the program that was, again, originally designed for SLPs, but I think that this is something that can happen across disciplines. Some of the examples that I'm going to give here I, I have seen happen to social workers, for example, um, you know, people not really understanding what they do and so they, you know, misinterpret, different decisions that they might be making. So that certainly happens. Now, the other thing I wanted to say is that in this particular scenario, it's it almost seems kind of like an SLPs versus the teachers kind of thing. I just wanted to say that I have had some amazing partnerships with teachers. And, and again, I think we all need to be on the same team. And so I do give some recommendations for SLPs to create buy-in and work with teachers. But I don't want this to seem like we're on separate teams. We're all on the same team. And I think that really what you want to do and how you want to look at this, regardless of whether you're a teacher, um, whether you're a therapist, even if you're a parent who just wants to advocate for your kids, I think that we all need to form an alliance together. So I wanted to just say that, that really these principles, even though they are specific to certain disciplines in the context that I am sharing them, I think that they can be really applicable to anybody who's who's wanting to support kids. So before I move on, I wanted to just mention that I do address some of these topics, and I do coach people through scenarios like this in the School of Clinical Leadership. The School of Clinical Leadership is all about, you guessed it, clinical leadership. So what that actually means is that I help you to better leverage your time through a concept that I refer to as asset stacking. And what this does is that it flips traditional productivity strategies on their head because they typically don't work. You can't fix huge systemic issues when you have an unreasonable workload. What you have to do is create one asset at a time and stack them so that you're creating leverage. What this allows you to do is create enough time to build your next asset so that you can focus on high-impact things. So you can get out of the weeds. Instead of just focusing on worksheets and lesson planning, you can focus on creating protocols that are going to help you leverage your time, be more efficient, be more effective, and also pool your resources with other professionals and build some powerful collaborations that are going to help to better support kids. So there's a lot to this, there's a lot to being a clinical leader, but you can do it now even if you're not at an administrative position. So this is a fit for you if you are in a position and you just want to be more effective in your current position, you don't necessarily want to leave and move on to something else, or if you think, you know what, maybe I do want to advance my career, maybe I do want to move on to a formal leadership position, maybe I do want to see what else is out there, maybe I want to start a side hustle or a business. This is ideal for you because regardless of whatever path you choose, the key to being successful is thinking of yourself as a leader and starting to develop some of these skills. So I share how to do that, and I coach people through that process in the School of Clinical Leadership. To learn more about how to become a member, just go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash clinical leadership. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash clinical leadership. So now, please enjoy episode 86, where I talk through a number of different scenarios surrounding addressing conflict in the workplace. We have a couple different things that we're going to talk about today. Um, I didn't, I left one to be answered from last week because I was diving into another topic and I wanted to make sure that I gave this question. It's a good thorough response. And that is what to do when there is any conflict with other colleagues in your building or when the other people in your facility have a negative view of the SLPs and the services being done. Whether it be you hear... A teacher making negative comments about another SLP in the facility or when there's just kind of this negative perception of the the people who are providing the services just because of lack of communication, lack of understanding and things like that. So we're going to dive into that issue a little bit and I'll talk about the specific member scenario that brought up this question and some resources that you can use and some some, some action steps that you can do if there are some people in your facility that maybe aren't perceiving you in a positive light and how you can start turning those relationships around. So we'll talk about that first. Um, we'll follow that up with some questions about evaluations and measuring progress on language therapy tasks. And then we will wrap it up by talking about some different service delivery options. Um, I know that we've got members that are mostly all over the United States, but sometimes there are different stipulations as far as different caseloads, how much you can see students. Um, There might also be some considerations that you have to make if you are a private practitioner and you're collaborating with people in the school systems. So I'm going to talk through some different options as far as logistics when it comes to scheduling, especially when there is a a little bit of a difference in what you can do if you're in a private practice versus in the school and just helping the two two different settings work together. So let's start off with our first question. So the, the scenario is that there's an SLP in a building that, again, has a large population of Students who don't speak English as a first language, um, it's an area that, again, the building tends to have a high turnover rate and high burnout rate with the teachers. So, again, they're already stressed. And then it's also a school district where the SLPs are having to move from different settings a lot of the times. And, again, they get interrupted for things like IEP meetings. Um scheduling conflicts, which sometimes interrupt services and requires requires therapy sessions to either need to be missed or rescheduled or combined or moved around logistically. So the scenario is, is that there's two SLPs and one has been kind of a mentor or just, you know, a, a colleague to another one. And Um, The second SLP who's just coming into this situation um, had an interaction with one of the teachers and the teacher made a comment like, are you going to actually see the kids? Are you going to be like that other SLP that misses sessions all the time? Something to that effect, something to indicate that at least from the perception of this teacher or other teachers in the building, that there's kind of a perception of the, the SLPs are missing sessions. They're Slacking off, what for whatever it is, there's some kind of a negative view about that other SLP. So, um, and the um, so the question from the member is, um, okay, I'm this other person who's hearing this teacher give me this input about this other SLP that I've worked with, who's been a great colleague to me, a good a good mentor, a person to that I've connected with. And I'm not sure if she is just not making up sessions, if she's missing, or if that's just a perception of the teacher that maybe she doesn't have the full amount of information. Um, Maybe this other SLP is just between buildings getting pulled in a lot of different directions. Maybe there's some kind of a misunderstanding. Because um, usually, you know, a lot of times the thing is, is that we only see the surface level of what that person's job is, we don't necessarily know what they're doing all the rest of the time. So if they're supposed to do something with one of our students or for us, and they're not there, sometimes the perception might be kind of negative. So the question is really, how do we handle this situation? Um, how do I know, do I tell this other SLP that this teacher is talking negatively about her? Do I stand up for her? Do How do I know if she really is not, staying accountable to her schedule and things that she needs to be doing. What do I do here? So again, it's a very challenging situation because again, if you tell her, if you tell her that this other teacher or other people are perceiving her negatively or talking about her, then you're kind of adding to the gossiping that's already going on. So that probably wouldn't be the best route. But at the same time, if there's a negative perception of the teacher's, you know the the teachers are perceiving the SLPs negatively. That you should—that's feedback that would be helpful for her and both both SLPs in the building because obviously that's going to impact the ability of everybody to work as a team. And um, if, if if people were perceiving me in a way or, or thinking that I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing, I would want to know about it so that I could fix it and address the issue. So it's kind of a slippery slope here. So the first question is, okay, should we tell her? Well, my thoughts are that you would want to have a conversation about it with the other SLP, and um, and just say, you know, I um, I wouldn't directly say something like this teacher so and so said this about you, but more like, you know, I've I've heard a couple of the teachers or. A teacher, not necessarily mentioning any names, um, just sharing some concerns about how often we're able to see the kids or um, just, just sharing some concerns about the consistency of services, maybe mentioning that and then brainstorming together, okay, let's, um, let's see what we can do about this in order to start to improve that rapport and build those relationships and maybe you have a little bit of a conversation with her even present it like um you know i'm i've been uh struggling or, or to um stay consistent with all these other meetings that we have to do um have you ever had this problem have you ever had a time where you've had a hard time staying consistent and maybe just dig into it that way to see what she says about it, because that might be able to kind of going in the back door like that and maybe just digging in that way and having a conversation with her might give you an indication of what she's actually doing as far as um, is she staying accountable to the schedule. So you probably want to have a conversation with her about that so that you can get a feel for the situation, but then also do it in a way that doesn't doesn't come off as gossipy and create tension between her and that teacher. Um, So, so now, I mean, once you kind of figure that situation out and hopefully we would hope, you know, again, giving your coworker the benefit of the doubt, we would hope that she's just, you know, not being lazy, but just, just busy and maybe missing because of meetings and things like that. So if that's the case, number one, the first thing that you want to figure out is, is there something else that we can do with the schedule to to see if we could make up some of those sessions? Or is there another way that we can provide some service and extend the services that we're able to give if we are able to make up those sessions? So one one of the things that we want to do, whether we're in private practice or whether we are in a school, is that you want to remember that the actual therapy session that you do, while really important, is only just a small snippet of what your your entire service plan, because there are going to be other stakeholders in that child's environment that are going to be able to reinforce what you do. So if you are spending time discussing or consulting with other people, whether that be the parents, whether you're the private practice person talking to somebody at the school, the SLP or the teachers, or whether you're the SLP at the school talking with the teachers and talking about what they can do to reinforce or, or seeing what what is coming up in the classroom to get feedback on your therapy. We've got to think about that as actually being a service to that child. So even if we miss their therapy session and it might look like a, a This something that they're they're not um, like a a gap in services, we want to at least be doing something in the interim to make sure that they're getting that reinforcement. So, you know, let's say that you miss, if you miss a therapy session every once in a while, then if you have something like that, where there is some, some, strategies being reinforced in the classroom, then that can actually take your therapy and help it go even further. A lot of people who are trialing things like the three-to-one model, again, what they do is three weeks of therapy on and then one week off. That week off can be um, used for things like consult. And so let's say that you have a group of third grade students and you spend 20 30 minutes or whatever discussing stuff with the the third grade teacher that can be considered service delivery minutes for that entire grade level now the thing is is that some people say well i can't really write that into the iep what i started doing is that i would write in a weekly average where i maybe would put them in for 40 minutes a week on my schedule but or sorry, I would, yeah, I would put them in for 40 minutes a week on the schedule that I had them on the three weeks, but then I would put 30 minutes a week on the IEP, because I knew it would average out, and then that final week, I would be doing consult. Again, um, it's something that I had to do gradually, where I was, um, like, as the IEP came up, I, I documented it. Um, you could, if you wanted to trial something like this for a specific group of kids, do some IEP amendments and just try it for a couple kids. Um, especially if you've got a grade level where there's a lot of kids and you feel like you really need to be consulting with the teachers, you could do some amendments there where you're um, writing the minutes in a way that it's an, a weekly average rather than um, something that that has to be done every week. And that way, when you plan your sessions, you can account for the fact that you might be missing some, and then be very clear about that with the teacher and explain how it's going to work. So it's perceived as, um, there's, there's an expectation there where this is how it's supposed to happen that yes, we're doing direct therapy these weeks, there are going to be some gaps. And, um, and that way when we have meetings, we have some flexibility here because You also want to think about those things when you're having those IEP meetings. That is a form of service. Consulting with the parents, that is a service. We've got to stop thinking about that as not providing service because a huge part of what we do is training other people because that's how we take what is being done in the therapy room and spreading it out. So So I think that part of that is just shifting that paradigm in our heads because we feel guilty often, like we're missing therapy, but actually we're doing other things that are part of our job that are also a service to the students. Providing direct services is not the only thing that we do. And so we've got to realize that first, but then also when we have those interactions with teachers and when we're talking with them, then we also can um set that expectation that okay like my role is is multiple like i don't want to say twofold because it's multifold i guess but really it's that we're not just a service provider who is pulling kids into the speech room that's not all we do and that's not the only way that we can affect students language we can affect students language by by also doing some training so here's the other thing about that is that if we are doing consultation this is a great story that um, I I was actually in a training that they were talking about the three to one model where you do three weeks on and then one week is consultation. And, um, and you know what, you might not be able to do a full three to one. Maybe you do like a a five to one or something like that, where you have one week where you're doing consultations and observations and things like that. Um, Again, doing an observation with a group of students is still a a service that you can do. Um, But anyway, she, she had a schedule where she would do those consultations and call parents and talk to teachers and, um, and all of those things that um, she would need to do in order to have some eyes and ears in the classroom, like have a, have a pulse on what was actually going on and not just being in the weeds in therapy all day long, not knowing what's going on. So, what she did was that there was this one parent who was always very combative, always would argue with the IEP team. And she never actually got the parent, but she got permission so that she could leave messages with this parent. And she just gave an update of what was going on with the speech, uh, in speech. And um, the IEP came around, and the parent went around and was just grilling everybody. And then she finally came around to the speech pathologist and was kind of like the speech pathologist who'd been leaving irregular messages. And she had not been getting back to her, but, um, she comes around and, and again, the SLP had not heard back from this parent. She'd just been leaving messages, but the the parent had been getting them. So she came around to the SLP and was like, so you're the SLP. Okay. You're good. Like, she was like, I don't have any beef with you. You've been leaving me messages. Like I like, because of that communication, she knew what was going on. So she had an idea of what, of the progress a lot of times if we don't hear anything and there's no communication, it's almost like we feel like nothing's going on. But simply because the SLP was calling that parent and giving her, giving her updates on what was going on, that established some trust. And she at least knew what was going on because she heard about it um, and rather than assuming, well, she's not contacting me. She must be slacking off or something like that. So just that communication made a big difference. She was the only person who didn't get chewed out at that meeting by that parent. So I think the same could uh, could be a factor here. And um, this is again, if there's not that relationship, and if the teachers don't have some updates of what's going on, just simply telling them, um, or simply taking making some effort to reach out to them and, and letting them know what's going on and keeping them up to date can set some expectations, kind of relieve some of that anxiety, and and also just keep them informed of what's going on. So th- what that's also going to do is that it, it'll, again, set those expectations, and it might help you start building some relationship with those teachers and building some rapport so that there's trust. And if you are on a situation or, or a schedule where you can do some consult like that, I highly recommend that because again, it's going to build that relationship. It's going to build that trust. And then that's going to make it more likely that they're going to positively view the the speech department. I think probably what happened is that maybe the SLP got busy. The teacher was busy. They weren't communicating and all the teacher seeing is sessions are getting missed. So there's not really anything to counteract that. So that's probably what was going on. I know that they're. Um, there was a, I remember one of the teachers that I worked with, um, and I, I also worked with this social worker who moved between buildings and the teacher kind of made kind of a snide comment to the social worker where it's like, oh yeah, well, like when you go move between buildings, you can just kind of do whatever you want because you can just use it as an excuse and say, I can't be there. I'm at another building. Like the social worker was a little bit offended because she, she thought to herself, and she shared this with me afterwards. She said, you know what, why, why does she think that I would try to not do my job just because I'm not in another building. But again, all the teacher saw was she just comes in and out and she's only here part of the time. So again, a lot of times just telling them, showing them what you're doing so that they have an idea and they have an idea of what you're doing can be a big factor and, and doing, um, and keeping that line, those lines of communication only open so another thing um, that can be helpful when it comes to getting teachers on board and building that relationship is um, I think we want to think of ourselves, we think of ourselves as clinicians and, um, and what we actually should think of ourselves as well as people who have to regularly market and sell our profession, whether or not you're actually, um, I do that all the time as a business owner um, again, marketing and selling for, for my business to get, you know, get people into the program so that I can help them. And the other thing that we want to think about is that even if you're not running a business, you still have to sell what you do because we've got to get people on board so that if you make a recommendation to a teacher that you're actually, they're actually going to be open to it. So I wanted to share a book that's been really helpful. It's, it's by Robert Cialdini and it is called Influence, and it's all about persuasion, and it's all about what uh, what things that we can do in order to influence the behaviors of other people. Now, the book is really interesting because he actually talks about how people use these principles of persuasion to impact people negatively so we want to be aware of that because sometimes people use it for um, for the wrong reasons and use it in a negative way but whether we're using it for good or whether we're using it for bad, these principles still exist. So we want to be aware of what they are so that we can actually use them to do, to help people do what's in their best interest, what's in our best interest, and what's in our students' best interest. So obviously I'm not going to go into all of the principles, but I am going to cover or just talk touch on two really quickly that, um, I, that I think relate to this situation that could be helpful. So there's a couple different, I'll read, I'll read some of them off here and I'm going to dive into a couple of them. So the principles of persuasion are reciprocation, commitment and consistency, social proof, liking, authority, and scarcity. So I'm going to talk first about reciprocation because a lot of times when we do consultations with teachers, a lot of times it's kind of like, or when I did it before and didn't get great results, like maybe people were appreciative that I was talking with them, but they didn't follow through with what I recommended. A lot of times it was because I was recommending something that actually created more work for them. And what you want to do instead is whatever you're doing thats that you're asking a teacher to do or that is a recommendation for a teacher, you want to be aware of what they need so that when you make a recommendation for something, It's something that is actually going to take work off of their plate rather than putting more on it. Because if you're just going to them and you've got an idea of, well, you need to be doing this in your classroom and this in your classroom and all of these things, then they might not see, put that together. They might not make that connection between where that student is struggling and why they need to do it. So we want to make sure that we present it in a way that it's clear how that's going to make something easier for the teacher. So what this has to do with reciprocation is that the, and the principle of reciprocation is that when people do something for us, normally, unless we're kind of a, like, yes, some people are kind of takers and they'll, they'll take advantage. But in general, when people do things for us, we feel kind of imbalanced and we want to, we feel like we should do something in return. So for example, um, I was going to hire this accountant and um, well, actually I am going to hire him to do my taxes for me. And I've actually had two hour long conversations with him and he hasn't charged me yet because one was just an initial consult to see if the, the, his needs and see if it was a good fit and, and then I said, okay, I'll, I'll get back to you. And then a year later, I said, you know what? I think I do want to have you do my taxes this year. Should I just contact you when we go and sign up for that consultation? He said, no, come in, tar, we'll talk again. We had like two hour long conversations and it's driving me crazy that he's done that for me and it feels weird to me that I haven't paid him yet or that I haven't like, It just feels like this weird power dynamic. It's almost like when somebody keeps taking you to dinner and you're like, please let me just pay for the next one kind of a thing. So what we want to do when we are making recommendations for teachers in addition to making it seem like we're taking it off their plate is that we want to be of service to them. So when we're talking to them, we want to figure out what they're struggling with regarding relating to our students and then figure out how we can help them. hopefully we can try to work in something that has to do with what we're, what we're doing in therapy, but just be of service to them, make their lives easier. And that's going to make them more likely to, again, be, if you do have something that you want them to do that maybe might seem like it's adding more work to their plate, if you've already done something for them, it's going to be more likely that they're going to do something for you. And this could be even things like and again, in that situation it's kind of like, well yeah, they should do it because it's all doing something for your students really, but just having that relationship with them and just helping them, being there and making their lives easier can can go a long way, especially if maybe you there maybe there are some things that are favors that you might ask them to do like you know, switching the schedule around or being flexible with that. They're going to be more likely to do things for you if you do something for them first. So even though it might be in a situation where you kind of feel like, oh, they're, they're always complaining, they're inflexible, all of those things, extending that olive branch first, somebody has got to be the one to do it. So if you do it first, maybe you've got to do it a couple times to, if, especially if there's a tense relationship, but, or especially if there's maybe been somebody else that's been providing services in that building and they're thinking of SLPs as negative as a whole, you might have to make up some ground there, but that's one thing that you can do just being of service and being aware of when you're asking them to do things, being aware of if it's creating more work or if it's something that's actually taking work off their plate. So that's reciprocation. So again, something to keep in mind when you're doing those consultations. Um, Let's see. The other one that we can talk a little bit about is um, social proof and liking. So social proof is um if you uh, have ever ever took a research course um, there's something also called social validity which is a little bit different and that's kind of how we perceive something like um, like does something do we believe that something measures what it what we um, what we are saying that it is kind of a thing social proof is a little bit different and it just basically means like other people, other people like this. And this is, for example, when businesses do testimonials, we like to see that social proof, like, oh, other people are doing this. So, okay. Like we, we, we like to see that and it gives some, gives us a sense of, well, other people are doing it. So it must be a good thing to do. So what happens with, with teachers is that A lot of times there is social proof can work against us. If maybe there is somebody who has had a bad experience with an SLP, teachers talk to each other and then it's kind of the opposite where it's like, oh, well, they're all just, you know, they're not accommodating, they're missing services, whatever. But on the other hand, if a teacher has a positive experience with an SLP and they put in a good word for you, or they're, they're saying that you're helpful and they talk to each other and, um, and, and you can at least get one teacher on board that's going to say good things about you, then that can start building that social proof so that other teachers, again, if they talk to each other, that can start building up your credibility and that building and hopefully can start to help get your foot in the door with building relationships. So you can, again, use that principle of social proof, like just meaning, do people say nice things about you? Like, are they saying that you're helpful or are they saying that you're unaccommodating and things like that? You just want to be aware of that and see what you can do to just, you know, maybe if that even means when you're doing consultations, getting in with the low-hanging fruit and the teachers that are already asking you for help, that maybe might be a little more open to it, especially if you've got a building that, you know, maybe... Maybe teachers have had a a bad experience with service providers before. So keep in mind social proof. And then the other one is likability. Obviously that we like to work with practitioners that we like. Um, We like to work with people who are like us. So um, I've heard mixed things about, um, I, I had one friend of mine who said, don't eat in the teacher's lounge because it's just a gossip fest. But my advice would be, be mindful if you're going to eat in the teacher's lounge, be mindful if you're going to go to some of those other little extra times where you might socialize because um, yes, you don't want to just go there and participate in gossip and negativity. But if you can go there and start making sure that maybe you try to eat lunch in the building or get there at the beginning of the day when you can talk to people, I know sometimes in, in one of my buildings, they would, a bunch of teachers would just hang out and drink coffee, um, in the morning before the kids would get there and just kind of chat. So you can get an awareness of when those things happen and just maybe you don't have to do it every day because you've got a million other things to do. But if you can make it a point to at least just have some small talk for the sake of building relationships and just learning about your coworkers, then that can actually go a long way. So again, do it strategically. Um, do it in a way that you, you, um, that will allow you to build connections, not just mindless chatter about whatever, um, do it in a way that maybe strategically will help you build connections with other people. Because again, we like to work with people that we lo- that we like, and we're more likely to trust those people. So again, that can add to that social proof as well. So those are my recommendations there. Again, um, that book, I'll put a link below the video, but it's Robert Cialdini, Influence. It's a great book um, to figure out how to, how to just influence not just teachers, but your students, other people you work with, parents, anybody who you want to influence for the sake of helping them do what's in their best interest. Thank you so much for listening. Again, if you are interested in joining the School of Clinical Leadership, if you are someone who wants to make a bigger impact on your caseload, if you want to have more leverage and influence over the way that services are delivered in your facility, then definitely check out the School of Clinical Leadership. In this program, I help you better leverage your time and use what I refer to as the asset stacking method so that you can rework your productivity system so that you can make time to do some of those high impact activities that you know you should be doing, but maybe you don't have time for, such as building relationships or collaborating with other professionals. To check out the School of Clinical Leadership, just go to DrKarenDudekBrandon.com backslash clinical leadership. Again, that's DrKarenDudekBrandon.com backslash clinical leadership. As always, thank you so much for listening. Remember, it always helps me out if you leave me a rating and review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we will wrap up for now, but I will see you in the next episode.